10.30, everybody okay? Everybody happy? At least pretending you got your church happy face on. And doesn't matter what's going on in real life. Just pretend here. It's a safe place to pretend. Just kidding. Um, we really try to value authenticity here. Um, but I hope all is well. You know, we as human beings, one of the things that, that we love, I think all of us love, uh, is to be in, we love to be in situations where there are many options. And if we choose any of those options, it doesn't keep us from choosing other options on the table, Right. Um, and this is what's so great uh, that we all love about an all-inclusive resort, right? You go to whatever restaurant you want to, you choose one thing, you get as much of it as you want, you go to the next thing. I mean, I know the rest of you stay to one meal and you, you steward the resort's resource as well. Not me, all right? I've only been once, actually. So I had to make good while I was there. But what we struggle to do as human beings is to be in pick one scenarios. We struggle. We're good with having lots of options and, you know, this is good and this is good. And if I get this, it doesn't keep me from getting that. But where you and I struggle as human beings is when we find ourselves in pick one, only one scenarios, right? If you've ever uh, been a kid, everybody, ever, anybody ever been a kid before? Or you have taken your own kids or you've seen kids go into either a candy shop or candy store, store with candy, or a toy aisle, and they're in a pick one scenario, you better have a lot of time on your hands, okay? I've got three kids. One of them, he doesn't like much candy at all. He really just likes a Hershey's dark chocolate bar. That's it. So when you go with him, he has no problem in the pick one scenario. It's like, all right, there's a hundred things here. I only like one of them. Boom. I have another child, though. Hmm. I, didn't, I try to get my kids' permission if I'm going to tell stories about them. And so just this is a general story, okay? I'm not telling you which child it is. It's not the middle. Okay. Um, but you take him to the candy store, and you've got to start playing Jeopardy theme music because time is running out. He doesn't know Jeopardy. It's just making you feel better about getting to the end of the line. And this, is, this happens without fail. So it's like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Finally, the decision gets made, and without fail, first the question is, can I, can I eat it in the car? Depending on what it is, yes. Um, and as soon as he enjoys it, like enjoys it so much, but as soon as that's gone, he begins to have instant buyer's remorse. Literally, he's depressed. He's like, I should have gotten the fill in the blank. And had he gotten that, he would have felt the same way because kids struggle to pick one thing when it comes to the candy shop. But this isn't just a kid problem. When it comes to restaurants, sometimes we find ourselves at a restaurant where we're lucky if we like even one thing on the menu, right? And in that scenario, there's no problem. I don't, a lot of options. That sounds disgusting. That sounds disgusting. Mm, I might can like that. So I go with that. But what happens, friends, when we find ourselves at restaurants with 10 or 12 great entrees, right? Listen, if you're married, dating someone, you go to dinner oftentimes with friends, um, make sure that you don't get the same thing as they do. Okay? This is like free uh, advice right here. Make sure, and let me give you a strategy. I'm a, my wife's here, so I don't want to tell all of my tips, but here, here it is. So you find two things you like. You decide which one you're going to order. Get the top one that you like, and then you instruct them what they need to order. Okay? Tell them it's a price issue. Tell them it's best for them. Tell them you're reading an article about that particular entree and how healthy it is for them, though it doesn't look like it. And, and the plan is that you're going to get half of theirs at least, right? Maybe more than half. So the food comes out. You've, they've got one thing that you like. You've got one thing that you like. Take the first bite of yours. If you think it's the best thing you've ever had on the planet, tell them you changed your mind, okay? Um, and you don't, have to, you don't have to share that with them. We don't like picking one thing. People do this with religion all the time, right? It's like, oh, I like this part of Christianity. I like 
like Jesus' teaching, but I like Islam too, and I, and I really love kind of the uh, meditation aspect of this Eastern religion. And so I'm just going to take it all together and, and, and not just pick one. I'm going to combine some of my own things in that. Or when it comes to what neighborhood you live in in the city or in the Bay Area, right? For some of us, either for work reasons or economics, we're, uh, it's dictated to us which neighborhood we live in, right? Uh, and for many others of us, it's like, no, you have some choices. And you know that if you, if you choose this, you're going to miss out on that. And so that can be a, an agonizing or paralyzing decision. Um, and then marriage maybe is the best illustration, hopefully, of the pick one scenario. <laughs> hopefully, yes. right? I have no doubt there are millions of amazing women on the planet. I have no doubt that there are millions of incredible men on our planet. But in this scenario, at least at a time, choose one, okay? Yes, pastor. Like, I'm with you. Some of you are like, Finn, but it's so hard, right? This guy is funny, but not handsome. This guy's handsome, but no sense. I I get it. But choose one. Like, just, you can only choose one. The big idea for our message today in the Follow Me series is this issue of treasure. And treasure falls under the pick one scenario. We would love to be able to treasure many things, right? In fact, some of us fool ourselves and say that we like all 10 of these things equally. We love these things. But what you'll find out throughout the morning is that when it comes to what the treasure is in my heart and in your heart and in my life and in your life, it's a pick one kind of scenario, at least one at a time kind of a thing. And what we would love to do is be able to treasure lots of things, right? Because there are many things we want to be true, right? We want to be well-liked. We want to have nice things. We want to uh, kind of check all the boxes when it comes to our religious or spiritual life. We want to be well thought of. We want to have status and significant. We want to follow Jesus. And listen, to do one thing doesn't mean you can't do other things. But when it comes to treasure, there aren't multiple things on the table. In my heart this morning and in your heart this morning, there's one thing that rises above everything else. And what's frightening to me is that some of us have done a really good job of fooling ourselves about what we treasure most. Because when the rubber doesn't hit the road, when push doesn't come to shove, we can fool ourselves and think that, you know what, this really is my utmost value. This is what I place the supreme worth on in reality that just may not be true. Okay? And so you can imagine if this is the Follow Me series, you can probably guess where we're going to try to aim to place our treasure, to place supreme worth on in our lives. What I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to talk about issues in our hearts related to a few things, related to money, related to our stuff, related to our hopes, our dreams, related to what makes us anxious, related to where we find our security. And what's crazy to me is that the words of Jesus are so appropriate for our day and time, and they were appropriate for his. Every human culture that's ever lived in any time, any moment in history, anywhere in history have all dealt with this, whether it's been a strong uh, economy they've they've been in or a weak economy. uh, The human race has always dealt with things like greed. The human race has always dealt with things like scarcity. The human race has always dealt with, are we placing supreme value on the right kinds of things? And so today, the, the message is all about treasure. Next week, don't miss out on this because I think it has and will affect most all of us. Next week is all about anxiety related to whether or not we will have enough of whatever. And while it's always been true throughout history and it's always been true in any culture around the world, I think it's unique that you and I live in this particular place in this particular time as we think about treasure and as we think about anxiety, right? In my personal conversations and with my wife and my conversations with my neighbors, our staff, many of you in the church, it it comes up. And and perhaps, um, it's debatable, but perhaps there's never been more treasure in San Francisco than there is today. 
And yet, on the other hand, perhaps there's never been more anxiety related to can I continue to live here, right, than this today. And however you think about it, right, however you think about it is largely colored by which side of it you're on, right? So here's an example just to pull away from the money treasure anxiety issue. When people ask Shauna and I, how do we enjoy the public schools in San Francisco? Because it's a unique thing. We love it. Because our kids, in our opinion, go to a great school. But so if someone says to us, but had we been in another place, our, we would, our perspective would be colored in another way. And, and some people think that the treasure issue and the anxiety issue, that they're directly linked or directly tied to whether you consider yourself to be wealthy by San Francisco standards, if you can, you know, if you have that many zeros, um, or whether you consider yourself by San Francisco standards to not be. And you think that, oh, the poor people have anxiety, the rich people, they're treasuring these things. But do you know that it can be opposite? Why, Ben? Because what Jesus is going to tell us this morning, it's not a circumstantial issue. It is a heart issue. Okay, so let's look at what he says. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, which is right where we left off. If you need a Bible, raise a hand. We'll get one to you, and you can follow along. We'll also have it on the screens. Matthew six nineteen through 24, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we left off at verse 18 last week, and... This morning, I just want you to be thinking about this idea of the pick one thing. Because what our vision is here as a church, just um, to remind many of you or to uh, uh, just share with those of you who maybe aren't aware of it. Our vision as a church is that we would be a church who orients our entire life around Jesus. The reason we have this language is because of the idea we're talking about today, which is this. Your life, my life, our church, we can only orient ultimately around one thing. We can only treasure one thing. There is only one thing that's central in my heart at any given time, and there's only one thing that can be central in your heart. And so you can guess where we're trying to go with this. But Jesus, what he does here is gives us a lot of spiritual language, but I think he gives a ton of common sense too. So let's stand up and read this. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. I, I was going to say read this together, but I would just be pretending. I mean, you can read out loud if you want, but it's going to be according to my cadence and uh, all that, okay? Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Before you sit down, look at me. This is No doubt this is a text about money and possessions. But no doubt you can substitute anything for the word money there, okay? Your heart can treasure anything. My heart can treasure anything. It can be other people's approval. It can be having perfect children. It can be being well thought of. It can just be the weekend, right? And like, Ben, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with enjoying the weekend. But if it's the ultimate thing, we could be in trouble. And so what Jesus wants to do is instruct us about how treasure works. Have a seat. Let's continue to examine our hearts and see what he tells us about this issue of treasure, 
This issue of treasure is something that's present in every single one of our hearts. It's happening in all of our lives at all times. The issue of treasure shows up in large, massive scale, big decision kind of ways about career and who you'll spend the rest of your life with and should you start this or should you move here. It shows up in all of those ways, but the issue of treasure likewise shows up in smaller ordinary, more everyday ways. And so this is in all of our hearts, and it matters. It really matters, Jesus says, what it is that we treasure. He also tells us in this text that whatever we treasure ultimately becomes our master. So whatever you treasure, in some ways, that dictates how everything else works. And what I call the master principle is simply this. Something, one thing, only one thing at any given time can be master in my heart and life and in your heart and life, okay? You can switch between masters. You can make something or someone your master at any given moment, but at any given moment, you and I have one master. And whatever or whoever our master is, they dictate how everything else is ordered and how every other decision is made in our lives. And residing in my heart and your heart this morning, there's one thing that sits at the top. There's one thing only on the throne. There's one thing only that you and I treasure most ultimately. Notice what Jesus isn't doing in this text. He's not coaching us or advising us about whether or not we should treasure, right? You don't see Jesus saying, hey, don't let your hearts go down that path. You really don't need to treasure anything. Surprise, surprise. Jesus knows how the human heart works. Right, And what he knows is that we are going to attach ourselves ultimately to one treasure. We're going to long for something that's ultimate. And he knows that that thing or that person or that situation is going to become our treasure. And so knowing that our hearts long for something to treasure, Jesus seeks to instruct us about what that should be. And what I think the story that the scriptures tell entirely, especially the gospels, but from cover to cover of the scriptures, the Bible from beginning to end, I believe the message that is being sent to us is this. Jesus is a better treasure than whatever it is we're choosing to treasure. He's a better treasure than being well-known. He's a better treasure than having everyone's approval. He's a better treasure than checking all the boxes on the religious good things you should be doing with your life. He's a better treasure than the relationship that you think will ultimately bring you happiness. He's a better treasure than the fleeting pleasures of sin, the scriptures say. And what we're going after with the vision here at our church, and we're all in process. This is not an arrival kind of a thing. But what we're going after is making him our treasure in everything. That's our aim here. That's, our, that's what we're going after. That's what we want to be true. There are lots of things that are present in my heart and my life. There are many things that should be present in your heart and in your life. But there's one thing that sits at the top. And everything else is dictated because of what that one thing is and by that one thing. Paul would say something similar to young Timothy, the guy that he was mentoring. Paul, probably more than anyone besides Jesus, was the most influential theologian and missionary in the first century. And he wrote a letter to the guy that he mentored, Timothy. And in one of those letters, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, here's what Paul says to Timothy about the same idea Jesus gives us. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up, what's that word? Treasure for themselves. Thank you, Shauna. Um, treasure for themselves as a good... Come on, it's a, this is a class participation thing. Storing up for themselves. 
nice, as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul uses different words than Jesus uses, but he conveys the exact same meaning. What Jesus called treasure, what Jesus called master, Paul says it like this, there's something that we all set our hopes on. There's something that every one of us in this room set our hopes on ultimately. And you're like, Ben, how do I discover that? Here's how you discover that. If I, you, you say this sentence in your heart, if I could just have, fill in the blank, I would be happy and I'd be set for life. That's what your hopes are set on. He says something to us that we think doesn't apply to us. He says, as for the rich in this present age, if I ask you, do you feel like you're rich in this present age? I'm guessing the majority of us in this room would go, mm-mm. So let me say a couple of things about that so that you don't think this excludes you. The first is this. Relative to the rest of the world, likely you are. Okay? There's a world outside of San Francisco. Hard to believe. I'm sure there's a better real estate chance for it. Anyway, um, likely you're you're rich relative to the rest of the world. And secondly, you don't have to and I don't have to possess something to set my hopes there. Does that make sense? So again, whatever you fill in the blank, some of you it's marriage. And I think it's great that you want to be married. We pray for people all the time. Keep telling us on your prayer requests. Now, it gets a little bit awkward when some of you singles say, um, pray that God would give me a husband. Here's his name. Here's where he lived. Will you go tell him that God has said to make him my husband? That's that's weird, but whatever. Um, We send Tim on those assignments. He's quite convincing. That's great. That's a desire of your heart. This is not about we can only have one desire, okay? It is not like, oh, I can't be a good husband if I treasure Jesus. No, of course not. It would be the opposite. But it is that there can only be one thing that reigns supreme. And we would be wise to inform our hearts, honestly, where that stands today. What is that for us? Is it success? Is it a position in your company? Is it literally the weekend? You know what, Ben? If I can just get to the weekend, that's really all I'm living for. The weekend's great. But maybe not at the treasure level, right? It's great, but maybe, maybe not at... At the treasure level, what Jesus does in this text in Matthew 6 is, um, I think he just simply uses much logic when he communicates. This is a spiritual principle, but listen to the common sense Jesus uses. He says this in verse 19. He says, don't lay up treasure for yourselves on earth. But he doesn't go on to say, because that stuff's bad for you. He doesn't go on to say, because I'm so much better, though those things are true. He doesn't go on to say, um, you know what, it's just not very spiritual of you if you do those things. Here's what he says. Don't lay up treasure. Why? So the common sense comes in because those things won't last. Those things can be stolen from you. Those things can be destroyed. Paul said to Timothy, riches are uncertain, right? He's not saying don't enjoy nice things. Now, I think he would say we need to be able to afford those nice things. He's just saying don't make those things your ultimate. Don't make those things your treasure. Don't make those things your master. And he uses the same logic in verse 20 for the positive. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying, listen, it just makes sense. It's almost like he's acting as an investment strategist for us, right? Now, if you're going to go invest money, and whether it's a 401k or you're doing the stock market or college funds or whatever the case may be, there's a few things you want to know, right? Please, right? All the financial advisors in the room, like, I'm looking for the suckers. I'm going to tell them they are desperate for my help. Um, you need one. You need, you need, listen, hopefully you're asking things like, is it ethical? Seriously, Pastor? Yep. Is it ethical? Is it moral? I know this is crazy, but is it legal? Okay. 
Let's ask those questions as investors. But the next question we're eventually going to get to, and I want you to get to, is this question. What kind of return will it give me? You're crazy if you don't ask that question in your investments. And Jesus is saying, just from a common sense perspective, I want you to invest. I want you to treasure. I want you to think as ultimate as something that's actually going to last, something that will satisfy, and something that will be here in the end. When we started this church, it was cool to do so in this particular city, kind of the startup culture capital of, of at least the U.S. And, and uh, so when, it's a great conversation. Other places around uh, the, the U.S., we would say we were church planters, and, and we use that terminology, but, but we started using just, hey, we're here for, to, we're here for a startup church. We're here to, to get this thing going. And so I have lots of friends who don't go to church and aren't church-type people um, who will talk, will talk about you know, similarities between how they got their thing off the ground and, and, uh, and how we got this one off the ground. And, and uh, they'll tell me how they went to these venture capitalists and they promised them that you know you can trust us this model is going to work this new technology is going to work and then they would tell me and we gave them x amount of the company they're like how does it work for you it's like man we got 20 churches to give us a million bucks and we told them we're not giving them anything in return right now the reality is um, that those churches believed in the principle that jesus is giving us here that when we went to them and said, listen, we can't promise a ton of things. We want to do our best. We believe God's called us to this influential city for the message of Jesus Christ to transform this place that has so much influence into the future as well as around the globe. Would you guys get on board with that? And when they said no to me, I brought Shauna to the next meeting and boom. It's this whole idea of what, what are we going to invest in? And as we think about treasure, if we can only ultimately treasure one thing, what are the implications for the other things we desire that we want in our lives? I read a great book earlier this summer. I would encourage you to read it. It's by Christian psychologist Henry Cloud. It's called Never Go Back. It's 10 chapters, 10 reasons or 10 things I'll never go back and do again in my life. It's, it's really good for me personally. And, and uh, if you're a reader or someone who's ever struggled with your own humanity, this is a good one. So any, either one. Um, and he says this in the book. He says, life is always about choosing some treasures over others. Life is always about choosing some treasures over over others. Always. They're always about um, picking up one thing, but having to set something else down. Always about, you can have this, but you can't have that. So you choose this, you set that aside. Life is always about that. And Jesus says in verse 24, you can't have two masters. Master principles in play. You can't have two masters. What does he say? He says, you will either love one and hate the other. He says, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And the question is, Jesus, really, why can't we have it? Why can't we have it all? Just because of the way the principle works. Whatever is master, everything else gets dictated to by the master, right? So what he says, God and money, he's like, you can't have God and money be top. Why? Because if God is, that informs what you do with money. And hear this, if money is, that informs how you use God. How do you think the prosperity gospel got started? Thankfully, I didn't have beautiful long hair, so it never was an option for me. To get on TV and tell you that if you'll just touch the screen, <laughs> blessings all yours. That would been such an easy job. And I was like, anyway, I digress. Um, what, whatever is treasure, everything else has to submit to it, okay? 
and you see this all the time played out. The way we use the language here at Epic in a different kind of depiction is that whatever is center, everything else orients around that. Everything else is established by that. Everything else, all decisions go through this filter. Filter Whatever's in the middle, whatever's the master, everything else falls up under it. And so um, you, you see some crazy things um, happen in the world because here's what's true. Uh, we do whatever is necessary to maximize what we treasure. Okay? Every one of us in this room, you do, I do whatever is necessary to maximize what I treasure, and so do you. Let me just give you three examples. Um, think of someone who's in the midst of an unfortunate addiction. Okay? That becomes tops in their life. And what, what are they willing to throw away to have it? Starts with every, ends with thing. Come on, class. Everything. This is sad. This is tragic. So they lose their wife or husband. They lose connection relationship with their kids. They lose their job. They lose their health. They eventually lose their life. Why? Because there's one master. And whatever the master is of your life, you will do whatever it takes to maximize it. Think about romantic relationships. I'm seeing this like crazy right now. It's distressing to me. Like, ben, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. People who are wanting to follow Jesus, their faith is strong, but all of a sudden they replace Jesus for that special guy or special girl. And because remember, you, you, set, you set stuff aside whenever you want to maximize what you treasure. And so I've, I'm seeing people lay their dreams aside. I'm seeing people, unfortunately, lay their faith aside because they feel like they can't be a person of faith and get what they treasure most. And they've gotten things out of sorts. Listen, relationships are hard enough on their own. True. Zelay, you have no idea. You have no idea. But your mom and dad are going to tell you all about that one day. Zelay, for those of you that don't know, he came home to be a part of Brad and Mary's family in February. And now he's just all up here on the front row and having a good time. Cool? Awesome. Awesome. They're hard enough on their own. I remember my last part-time job before I was in full-time ministry, I was a, a tour guide at Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Yeah. Well... You would think, oh, Ben, that's awesome. That stadium, it was before this stadium, okay? Uh, this 2001, and the team was terrible, all right? Anyway, that was my job. And so I got to see what worship really looked like. More, more than I learned in grad school with a theology degree, I really got to see what worship looked like. Grown men kissing the blue star. I'm like, what? That's weird. Um, but th- they would do it. I remember this one weekend, especially, I would give tours. And Saturdays before a home uh, game were crazy, like just crowded. And you got to meet people from all over. And I remember this couple from Canada. Uh, they had flown down, spent probably 1000 bucks to fly down from Canada for the weekend. They had spent a couple hundred dollars apiece on tickets for the game. Um, they came, went on the tour. I'm sure they had a hotel room. Uh, and so we do the tour. We come back to the pro shop. Um, and they spend about $3,000 on Dallas Cowboy autograph paraphernalia. I'm like, what in the world? It's like, how do they, like, what, how do they even do this? And then when the guy opened his mouth, I realized that every penny he should have spent at the dentist. <laughs> when you treasure something, you give up whatever it takes. I'm, this, you know this. Whatever it is you treasure. Otherwise, why are we paying what we're paying for 400 square feet in San Francisco, Right? You're like, it must be worth it. <laughs> Sean and I are like, but there's 4,000 square feet in Dallas. I mean, come on. Uh, no, we're not doing it, really, because um, we just say to each other, then we'd have to live there. Um, <laughs> but whatever it is that you treasure, everything else submits to that. And another principle to know that all of us uh, interact with is this, is that you give up. We give up whatever is necessary to have what we treasure most. You just do. 
Jesus's uh, one of my favorite parables by him was a one verse parable. So those of you that don't like whole chapters in the Bible, um, this is a great one verse parable. Matthew thirteen forty four, along the lines of what we're talking about today. Listen to what he says. He says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's the way treasure works, right? You find something that's of so like it's like it's funny to me the picture that comes to my mind uh, you know he's he's finding something he's covering it up I'm thinking about um, some of you ladies or, or guys you, you find that one sweater that's left at the gap and you hide it from the rest of us right and you want to make sure that no one else gets to it this is the idea but hopefully a little more valuable he finds something Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who finds something that's worth everything. And it's so valuable. He wants it so bad that he, he is willing, even if he has to get rid of everything else, to have this, he'll do it. Why? That's the way treasure works. What are you setting your heart on? What are you placing your hopes in? What do you treasure most? Who has become master? And I think we see this principle of giving something up for the sake of treasure played out most notably on the cross. People say to me, Ben, the cross was about God's glory. I believe that God got glory through the cross. I also believe he had glory before the cross. But Ben, the, the cross is all about doing this. It's all about Jesus' mission. Okay. But isn't the cross all about someone giving up a lot of things to get what he wanted most? Isn't that what the scriptures teach us? That Jesus lose, he leaves the comfort and he loses the comfort of heaven. The scripture teaches that he loses his physical life. The scriptures teach us most notably that he loses the eternal long communion he had had with his father. is separated from his father's heart for the first time in history. Why? Here's how Paul, the great theologian, would write it to the Corinthians when he talked to them about generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he said this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? Why would he do that? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He's showing us sometimes it's worth giving all the best things up to have what's better. And we go, oh, Jesus, we don't know if we can follow you, if it means giving up this or that. Friends, he gave it all up. And here's what I'm convinced of, that at times, maybe the majority of the time, our hearts aren't convinced and overwhelmed enough with what he set aside to have us. This is not about us doing him a favor and making him first so that he'll feel good about himself. In some ways, it's just about reciprocating that the Son of God comes and lays it all aside to gain you. You're like, but Ben, I want to be successful. Go for it. But it's just not treasure worthy. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus is declaring, I'm a better treasure. He finds the woman who's had five marriages. She's now living with a man who's not her husband. Jesus is like, listen, you're longing for something that I can only fill. Right? Some of you know this with riches. Every one of us in this room, we've filled in the blank with something. If we only get this, then we'll be happy. And you never wanted anything else once you got it, right? Right? I mean, out of college, we were like, if I just get a paycheck, that'll be enough, God. Until six months later is when it isn't. Next week, we're going to talk all about how um, we have this crazy anxiety played out in our lives because we just aren't convinced God will give us enough. 
So I want you to be here next week. But as we think about today, this issue of treasure, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to move into a time of communion. Let me give you some just uh, pragmatic details first, and then, and, then we'll, and then we'll go from there. After I pray, the band will lead us in a couple of songs, ample time not to rush through this, because I don't think we need to rush through this. You'll be able to um, stand up and sing, kneel and pray, sit and pray, whatever. And when you're ready to receive these elements, you can just get up from your seat. We'll make a line along this wall. It's kind of the best way we can do it in this room. And uh, there'll be a couple of leaders here, uh, one with a bowl of bread and the other with a cup. And uh, just so you know, this is gluten-free bread. I know it sounds crazy, but we've had people not experience communion because they thought it wasn't. So it is. We're all covered. Um, You'll be able to taste it. Um, (laughs) Third, this is for those of us who have trusted Jesus as our treasure. This is not for those of us who want to go through some religious experience. It's for those of us that have seen Jesus portrayed on the cross, exchanging his life for our sin, and we're moved by that. Paul tells us when we come to the table that we should examine our hearts. That we should really contemplate. And this isn't the question, have I been perfect this week? It's the question of, man, have I been overwhelmed with this treasure? And then I want us to think through the lens of this idea of giving up for the sake of something better. So when Jesus is with his disciples on the Last Supper, he, he holds up a loaf of bread and, and he breaks it and he says to them, he's like, guys, um, this is what I'm giving up. And he tells them who he's giving it up for. He says, this is my bread that's broken for who? For you. I am giving this up for you. I think having you for eternity is better than the comfort I could have without going to the cross. I think this is better. So he breaks the bread and he's like, here, eat. Then he takes the cup and he says, this this is all about me giving up for you. Giving up what? He says, this is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's not rush into this moment. Have your hearts not only been informed, but transformed and overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for us. If that's a new concept or something you've realized this morning, you've just been going through sort of the church religious motions, um, we'd we'd love to visit with you about that sometime during the week, even today. Uh, For the rest of us, um, treasure's a really important thing. And let's just uh, start with honesty in our hearts before ourselves and before God. And just like, you know what, God, I say that I treasure or value this most, but that hasn't really been played out. It hasn't been played out in how I spend my money. It hasn't been played out in how I love people. It hasn't been played out in how I do my job. God, I'm looking to something else. The great thing that you see all throughout the scriptures is that Jesus receives um, confession from us. And he acknowledges that and he forgives us. And then he redirects or he allows us to repent, to take our eyes and hearts off one thing and to put it back on him. And that's a part of all of our lives. We need to do that. So let me pray for us and we'll move into this experience. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for teaching us about true treasure and true riches. Jesus, we thank you that you display what it, what it means to, to give some things up to gain something better. God, every one of us in this room, we have set our hearts on things that couldn't meet the longing of our heart. We've looked to things to give us what only you could give us. God, we have wasted money. We have wasted time. We've made terrible decisions relationally and financially. And God, I pray that you would restore this issue of treasure to its rightful place. And Jesus, just that we'd say, we, we want you as treasure. We want our life to orient around you. We want you to be master. We, we see the title used, Jesus, for you throughout the scriptures as Lord. And, 
And uh, just what that means, God, is that we are willing to um, allow everything else to filter through the lens of you being the master. God, you know what our hearts long for. You know some of those things are terrible things. Some of those things are really good things, but they're just out of place. And so, Jesus, as we come to the table, we, we receive what you've given up. We thank you for the hope we have in you. We thank you that you have revealed what treasure is really like. And I pray that you will do work in our hearts over these next several minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond.